Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christine and I'm here with John. Hey, John. Hello. All right, John, it's your turn. What'd you pick? This time I picked a story by Edgar Allan Poe called The Cask of Amontillado, which I always want to say Amontillado Mm because it's Spanish, but I think it's supposed to be Amontillado with L's. Okay. I might switch back and forth as we talk about it, but we'll see. I don't think it really matters how you pronounce it, but I think Poe himself probably pronounced it with the L's, 19th century Baltimore. (laughs) Okay. It was about dusk, one evening during the supreme madness of the carnival season, that I encountered my friend. He accosted me with excessive warmth, for he had been drinking much. The man wore motley. He had on a tight-fitting party-striped dress, and his head was surmounted by the conical cap and bells. I was so pleased to see him that I thought I should never have done wringing his hand. I said to him, My dear Fortunato, you are luckily met. How remarkably well you are looking today. But I have received a pipe of what passes for a montelado, and I have my doubts. How? said he. A montelado? A pipe? Impossible. In the middle of the carnival? I have my doubts, I replied, and I was silly enough to pay the full amontillado price without consulting you in the matter. You were not to be found, and I was fearful of losing a bargain. Amontillado, I have my doubts. Amontillado, and I must satisfy them. Amontillado, as you are engaged, I am on my way to Lucchesi. If anyone has a critical turn, it is he. He will tell me. Lucchesi cannot tell Amontillado from Sherry, and yet some fools will have it that his taste is a match for your own. Come, let us go. Whither? To your vaults. My friend, no, I will not impose upon your good nature. I perceive you have an engagement. Lucchesi, I have no engagement. Come. My friend, no, it is not the engagement, but the severe cold with which I perceive you are afflicted. The vaults are insufferably damp. They are encrusted with nitre. Let us go nevertheless. The cold is merely nothing. Amontillado, you have been imposed upon. And as for Lucchesi, he cannot distinguish Sherry from Amontillado. Thus speaking, Fortunato possessed himself of my arm. Putting on a mask of black silk and drawing a roccolaire closely about my person, I suffered him to hurry me to my palazzo. So what made you pick the story? Had you read it before? I must have read it a million years ago because it's familiar. I recognized it. Although I think Poe has a couple of stories where he walls people into <laughs> alcoves. <laughs> so it was very familiar reading it, but I didn't reread it before. I was just like, I want to pick another Edgar Allan Poe story. I was thinking about him. He's like um, often credited with uh, like inventing genres and like kind of helping to codify like the short story form. And just like he's very influential in American literature. And he was internationally well-respected as well. I think in France, he was, they loved him in France. But I thought that it might be a good idea on like a podcast like this to think about like the origins of the form that we're writing in. So I was like, oh, what's a good Poe story? And I just picked it. Maybe I should have picked a different one. No, I mean, it was terrifying. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the first time I read it, it was like really late at night. And I was just kind of confused about why he was doing this to this guy. Because aside from that first paragraph, there's not like a ton of info about why is he's pissed at him to the point that he's gonna like kill him that was like my main not really complaint because i think this story is like if Edgar Allan Poe was in a workshop today i'd be like wow this guy has a good imagination he's he likes coming up with a premise and just executing the premise and it's not so much about necessarily character development or anything like that which maybe i'm like underselling it but like he didn't come up with this story so that we could find out these two characters entire backstory and what led to this you're just supposed to know this is about revenge and then watch it get executed in a really horrifying way. There's also those little moments that happen in here. I think uh, he chose to include the discussion of the coat of arms. He chose to include the little miscommunication about whether or 
not, narrator is a Mason, a Freemason. Yeah. And I presume that that is like, if you were to like really want to dig into the story and like yeah, quote, that'd unquote, be the figure it story. out, yeah. there'd be stuff there that you could work with. Right. Right. But yeah, but I think the point of the story, like the the feeling, the, the effect of the story is to just enjoy like a kind of terrifying thought experiment, right? It's a revenge yeah. story. What happens? <laughs> yeah. He's like, what would it be like for the person not who's dying behind the wall, but the person that's breaking it up? <laughs> yeah. Which is really creepy because there's that final moment where he, the, like the last thing he hears before he like puts that final brick in is not this guy like screaming and like realizing he's going to die, but it's like his last ditch effort to get him to let him free. <laughs> and that, that I think is the scariest part. It's an excellent jest. We will have many a rich laugh about it at the palazzo. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, there's like how many stages of grief and there's probably, <laughs> this is like the stages of um, pleading for your life, you know? Oh my God. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's like a, a standard thing you see in like torture films and stuff, you know, they yeah. try like all these different tacks and that one's terrifying because it's the last thing he hears before he just like walls him off. Yeah. I thought it was an interesting idea. You know, a terrifying story would be to be the guy being walled off. Like that would yeah. be a terrifying story to tell, but he told the other one where you're walling someone else off. And that is a, that is a choice, right? I can see different writers choosing differently, which character they're going to go with. Right. And that's the only reason I mentioned like the backstory part. And I imagine you would be able to tell me wh why this is. But I think as like a modern day reader, I have certain expectations about stories, you know, and how I expect to enjoy them. And for this, it's kind of like, I don't know enough about our main character to know whether I want him to have successfully walled this guy off. <laughs> you know, there, there's like, a, there's a lot of there's a lot of stories about revenge, tons, a lot of them are superhero stories. So like Batman, has a fucking chip on his shoulder and he takes it out on other people but we're kind of cool with it because you know he's a good bad guy whatever but there's stories about revenge everywhere and they're really really fun and it's cool to root for these characters because we all have the desire on some level for this kind of revenge whether or not we want to kill someone like we want someone to get what's coming for him you know especially if we've been wronged and here I was like wait a second I don't know if this guy is like a total idiot and he's upset about something minor and all we get like I said is that little beginning section. So I'm I'm reading it and I'm like this is a terrifying choice because I don't know if I'm reading from the perspective of a bad guy or someone I want to root for. And that's why I say that Poe is like a premise guy because I don't think he cares one way or the other. I think what he really thought of when he thought of this is like what would it be like to be the guy luring you down here and doing it that way. Yeah, the character himself feels as if he's been affronted. He feels yes. as if yes. he needs to get the whole first paragraph is about when yeah. someone does something to you, you have to get revenge. And then it just proceeds to get revenge. Yeah. Right? So he is obsessed with this idea, you know, driven to this kind of really gruesome <laughs> It is action, you know, murder by that desire for revenge. And that's like psychological premise enough. Right. And I'm trying to remember now. There's not a moment when he says there's not like an honest moment between these two characters when they're when this is happening, when they both realize what's happening, that he says, like, gotcha, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah. He doesn't confront him with like, this is why I'm doing it. No. It so there's also not that feeling of um, he feels particularly unhinged that way. He's less interested about the person he's getting revenge on realizing that they've done something wrong and, and thinking to themselves in that final moment 
comment, oh, you're doing this because I did this to you. It's like he's just killing him. <laughs> yeah. Like really horrifically. And it seems kind of senselessly because I can't tell from the story if this is a guy that he passed in the streets a couple times and he just doesn't like him. And he said a couple things that were like insulting. I think we've all had interactions like that. But um, your revenge is not usually to silently kill that person and not have them atone for those sins. You know, you don't just want them to disappear off the face of the earth. You probably want them to suffer something in terms of what their reputation, their wealth, their standing, you know, or embarrass them. And this guy's like, no, dude, you gotta die slowly. And no one's gonna ever find out where or that I did it. It's like he's gonna have to bank on feeling satisfied knowing that he's dead and that he died horribly versus anyone else thinking to themselves, yeah, he got what was coming for him. It is interesting when he's doing the actual walling up. I noticed that Fortunato kind of like lost his name, lost his status. Like the way in which the narrator talks about him is like there's this line, a succession of loud and shrill screams bursting suddenly from the throat of the chained form. He's just screams at this moment. Right. It's not Fortunato screamed. Fortunata gave a succession of loud and shrill screams. It was just, oh, there's screams coming from this, like, what is this chained form in the darkness, you know? And that whole previous paragraph kind of, like, leads us into this kind of, like, depersonalization, which suggests a certain, um, you know, psychological remove right. from what he's doing. The revenge has a quality to it because he's it's, it's such a permanent thing and it's not a public thing. And it's, you know, Fortunata's, he's going to die. And then... <laughs> This narrator is going to live in this house knowing that he's walled up there. I think the last line is like for half a century. Yeah. 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 So the other thing I know we've talked about and my best example that I can come up with is that uh, jumping frog of what is it? Calvary's County or whatever. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure we probably talked about it then where, like I said, as a modern reader and someone like me, who's like, I don't, I just don't consider myself well read in this kind of stuff, you know? So you're, I can accept that Edgar Allan Poe is the master of this and he influenced everything, but I would, I would have to argue that I don't like him the way maybe I should, you know, for the fact that maybe he's like the source material or whatever. But there's just like something about the way these stories are written where it just does not feel direct to me. I feel like every sentence I have to read, it's almost like the clauses are inverted or something. It's like the verbs in the second half. And it's like, if not for this, would I have done this to him and killed him and thus? And I'm like, wait, just, you know, and I know it's just like the way that they spoke, but there's something about how dense just the verbiage is for me that it takes me longer to realize what's happening. So the first time I read this, I was like, what is going on? (laughs) You know? I mean, it's just a style, yeah, 19th style. century style of writing, that's all. I guess I just wonder what it must have been like to read this in its time and would it have felt like a page turner then, you know? People are just kind of used to this kind of delivery. I remember talking about this on the podcast before. I don't remember why and what context, but there's famously, you know, the Gettysburg Address is considered one of the best um, moments of oration in history, right? It's like this perfectly small, well-written um, little speech. But when, when Lincoln delivered it, he followed a guy who spoke for like three hours because at the time in the mid 19th century, people who went to speeches wanted to hear long, flowery, ornate. It was all about the rhetoric. It was rhetoric. We yeah. want to hear good rhetoric. And then Lincoln gets up there. They don't have a picture of him at Gettysburg because the photographer's like, oh, he's going to be there for a while. Let me set up. And then uh, he's done in a couple minutes and he starts walking away. 
And in fact, the reviews of Lincoln's speech were like, this was nothing. Why did he do that? <laughs> like the next morning, it was like, he was he was terrible. Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes was like zero. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So I think part of that, obviously, like what Poe is doing is writing the kind of prose that you would expect of his time. Right. It's not as like, you know, Henry James kind of had this, sometimes had this similar thing where you get these sentences that you really are hard to follow. And another thing that happens is obviously 19th century English is slightly different. We don't use oh, yeah. phrases in the same way. Right. I I didn't mark them, so I can't find them off the top of my head, but I know there's a couple of verb phrases where it's like, that's a very uh, 19th century construction. There's a tense in, ver- in English that we don't have anymore called the passival, mm-hmm. where you would say, it's something like, we'd say that building is a building, not in in that it is a building, but it's the verb a building, meaning that it is currently building itself. But this is not something you can express in modern English in the same way you would have expressed it in 19th century English because it's a verb form that we lost. So stuff like that, there's like little nuances of language that are just going to be different, you know, right. words that mean slightly different things that when we read them. So it's it's like reading Shakespeare, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, this is 17th century English. I don't know exactly, or 16th century for Shakespeare some of Shakespeare stuff, not quite the way we use language now. So it's going to be, you're going to read it slower if you're really trying to get into it. And there is, it's just the nature of time that it's changed too much. You can't read it the same way you can read modern stuff. Yeah. And it's not a criticism in terms of, I mean, not that I would dare do this, but I'm not criticizing the way this is written or the way he wrote it. You know what I mean? And this is of its time. It's not a prose thing. Yeah. yeah. There's just something that, that I recognize is completely lost to me in the experience because it's not. I'm not of the time that can appreciate it, you know? Yeah. It's like if he was going to read some shit that I wrote, it would be <laughs> agonizing. <laughs> oh, and Poe was a, a literary critic. He would have... Uh... Yeah, he would have been like, this gill chick needs to get off Reddit. <laughs> but I have this instinct these days, and it comes from, you know, being in a workshop, too, with writers that are, by their own account, learning this. And the stories I feel most compelled to rewrite are the ones with great premises. Because if there's a writer who just, you know, has this concept concept and they're like kind of rushing to get it on the page or whatever it is but the concept is interesting you can kind of envision how it is you'd expect to be told that story so that it has a satisfying kind of conclusion right and I, I'm less inclined is my point to rewrite someone's story who is like which doesn't have some kind of concrete plot or premise you know when it's like literary fiction it has so much more to do with your voice and how you want the reader to feel sentence to sentence not start to end you know but it's the stories with the premises where I'm like, all right, you did all the hard work. Like your brain came up with this, but you just don't necessarily know how to tell a story, you know? And um, that can be taught. It's just sometimes excruciating. And so I feel like sometimes I just want to do it for them, you know? And I've thought about actually doing this and I'm like, who am I kidding? There's so many other things I should be doing than rewriting other people's stories. Like, I don't know, writing my own. (laughs) I think it'd be really interesting to for someone to rewrite stories in a modern way. And all I mean oh. by that, I'm sure people have done it. We did that episode about the Joyce Carol yeah. Oates thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or, um, well, there was that other one that I shared. There was the Laurie Moore one, Referential. I think I brought that one. It was just the Nabokov rewrite. Oh, well, that. Yeah. But there was one that I felt inclined to do myself and just never did. And it was like a nature one. Yeah. 
That's all I got. Um. <laughs> anyway, oh, it was it was the one where the little girl is um in the woods and the man is trying to hunt something and she oh, lies the, about having White seen Heron. a bird. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, Sarah Jor- uh, Sarah Orange Jewett. Look at you. <laughs> anyway, so there's nothing wrong with that. It's just like um sometimes I wonder how this could be rewritten in a modern way. And that story is a bad example because that I don't think has anything to do with what we're talking about here, which is that like language has evolved and we can't hope to enjoy it the same way. But this was one of those ones where I just had the urge to rewrite it exact same premise exact same time frame whatever same characters but like i wonder what the sentence structure would look like in a modern one i think another interesting question would be like we were talking about before where if you you could pick the murderer or the victim yeah as your point of view character you could pick a lot of like this premise of someone getting revenge by walling someone up another point of view would be the people who like knock that wall down in a hundred years yeah and find somebody inside and then they have to figure out what happened like that would be another way to approach the premise there are so many different like ways to approach any premise like this one like of uh, someone getting revenge by walling them up in, inside of something beyond just the prose level things like the, you could you could explore a lot with that yeah Poe was interested in like psychology and like this like right. dark motivations and like he was a horror writer right right <laughs> the gothic horror is one of those things he helped invent or not invent but like refine i guess but yeah especially for a modern like our concerns are different than 19th century concerns so we're going to look at that same exact premise in a different way and have different concerns about it right there's a lot you could do with rewriting this those kind of things yeah and i know like some version of this has been done in you know with like pride and prejudice it's like pride and zombies like i don't care about that kind of stuff i just mean (laughs) you know like that kind of stuff like whatever there's a place for it but that but i'm talking about something different you know like not trying so much to change the source material just like as an experiment like what would this look like if Edgar Allan Poe was alive in 2023 writing it right like his brain but with our modern expectations and things and training you know yeah that that's that's an interesting idea too. Try to recreate the same narrator, but make his voice slightly different, like more modern, a more modern voice, like have the same psychological whatever right. is going on. Maybe we would have Stephen King rewrite this, you know? There like you go. Yeah, our, modern mo- our modern horror writer, but obviously like we know that he's a terrific writer and he's got a modern sensibility to him. So I wonder what he, what his take would be. And I would argue though, that there's probably someone I've never heard of that's up and coming or not even up and coming, but popular. And I just have no concept you know who's considered the next Stephen King yeah because what they're doing is more of the time do you have a takeaway um my takeaway was gonna be something about mostly thinking about the reason I mentioned that it's interesting to consider alternate points of view like yeah you tell the story from the murderer's point of view or the victim's point of view because when I was halfway through I was just thinking like it's an interesting choice that he chose the murderer what would the story feel like from the other direction and so my takeaway was to think about that kind of stuff when you have the concept like you talked about for the story and you're approaching it you know every writer is gonna think of the concept up slightly differently and part of that is whose story are you telling whose point of view are you which actually that doesn't even have to be the same thing right you can be in someone else's point of view and telling someone else's story right and it all boils down to what is interesting to you as a writer and what can you make interesting for a reader yeah. Which usually if you're interested in an, as a writer, you can make it interesting for the right kind of reader because right. you're writing for a particular audience who is in some way like you. Right. 
somebody shared a quote at one of my most recent workshops and later emailed to say that it was a it was a Vonnegut piece of advice saying that when you're writing a story, I think he was probably talking specifically about short stories, but maybe in general, like you're supposed to start as close to the end as possible. And so there's some element here where that you know, that was put to use. We don't need to know when the idea for revenge started. We don't know need to know what the slight was. We don't have to start there. There's enough of like the backstory. And so I guess my takeaway is that even as I sort of like criticized my first thought about this story, which is not like this is dense and hard for me to get through more like, why is he doing this? Um, I don't fully get it. Am I supposed to root for him? Like that there's still, you don't have to know everything about a story. I really like to know everything about a story just because I like to have the emotional satisfaction that the reader intended for me you know and I sometimes feel I can't do that unless I have everything that I feel like they want me to have and I think this is when you realize this is Edgar Allan Poe he just wants you to be horrified (laughs) yeah and so that worked you know because like I said maybe the scariest part about this is that Fortunato has no concept of what he's done wrong or that he did anything wrong or that this is even about revenge he just kind of maybe thinks he's at the hands of a madman that he knows and that's scary too so I guess my takeaway would be that you you can enjoy like the premise of a story a lot of times, even though I really like to know the emotional backstory of sometimes of these characters, you know, in depth. But there, but there, if you come up with something interesting enough on its face, maybe you can still appreciate this is a story about revenge. That Vonnegut quote is very similar to the kind of thing we've talked about before, where the structure of a story, we start in the moment of the drama, reach for backstory that's necessary in order to understand that moment, and then complete the drama in the moment moment. So you're starting at the end by starting in the moment of drama, and then you just add what you need. And I would suspect that Poe didn't think he needed more, right? right. He didn't need more than this. And he wrote that essay, is called this the single prose effect in the in the prose tale or something like that, where basically he was saying like a sh- for a short story, you're working towards one major effect on the reader, right? And so he's writing a horror story, so he doesn't need to get too much of backstory in order to present the horror of it. Right. So yeah, I like that point that takeaway you know i think um you can weave more into it you can get more into the the weeds of like who these people were and what they're uh and it's it's not wanting more of that isn't necessarily the wrong reaction too but proposed purposes i think he achieved what he wanted to do the other thing i was gonna mention is we even mentioned it before that if you dig in to like some of these interactions like there's a reason he brought up the coat of arms there's a reason he's talked about masons maybe more so than the mere pun of like are you a mason it's like oh yeah i'm gonna trowel <laughs> just you wait and see i'm gonna do some masonry right here in the basement <laughs> yeah 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 there's there's probably a little bit more to it there like if you wanted to dig in you might be able to pull something out of it for sure all right thanks guys if you enjoyed this episode consider joining our patreon your support helps us keep the show running find out more at patreon.com slash why is this good podcast And for industry news, writing tips, and great short fiction, join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Naples Writers Workshop. You can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter at napleswritersworkshop.com.